Good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Wayne Ford. I'm a former U.S. Army infantryman and retired Pennsylvania State Trooper. Uh, more importantly, I'm a husband and father. About three years ago, my wife and I, uh, with our children, came here to Grand Point Church and we were made to feel most welcome, and we are grateful to God that we found a home. Today's scripture reading is from Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scrolls or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scrolls or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you, Wayne. We so appreciate Wayne and his family uh, being here. Good morning to all of you. And I just kind of uh, was working through the sanctuary a little bit this morning. I was amazed at how many people here I have not yet met and I hope we get to meet sometime. Thank you for coming in. Uh, guests, new people coming in, joining us every week. Uh, you enhance our services, by the way. Every time we have guests in here, there's just something new that happens. And we're so glad for everyone that's here. Every single person here is important to God. Now, I know that not all of you are um, football fans, but where, where's our, um, Eagle, our, our, Patri- our Pittsburgh? Where's our Pittsburgh fans? So congratulations on your win last week. And uh, kind of reminded us that everybody in the team's important, right? Even the backup snapper, right? So anyway, if you didn't see the game, you don't know what I'm talking about. But also reminded me that everybody in the body of Christ on this team is important. Uh, you are important to God. You are important to us. And we're so glad that you've come in just to be uh, a part of our service here this morning. I have just a few announcements, and then we're going to jump into our message series uh, from the book of the Revelation called All Things New. Uh, several weeks ago, we announced that one of our staff members, uh, Rodney Beisline, who is currently the director of our Kids Point Ministry, uh, a very, very important position, uh, Rodney resigned uh, because he is taking the senior pastor position at the uh, Shippensburg First Church of God. Now, we're going to celebrate Rodney next week in all of our services. We're going to give you an opportunity to show your appreciation to him for his service here. But today, I want to share the good news with you that Ashley Whiteley has accepted the role as the new Kids Point Ministry Director. Ashley has been the Kids Point Director at the Shippensburg campus since 2018. She is more than qualified to step in 
and uh, take the central services role and lead all of our kids' ministry across all of our campuses. Ashley is passionate about your kids, about kids, and uh, we look forward uh, to how God's going to continue to use her uh, to serve the kids at Grand Point. Now, that leaves a vacancy at the Shippensburg campus, uh, which we will work to fill uh, as Ashley takes her leadership. Is it okay if I talk about Christmas just for a moment? Uh, I'm going to do that anyway, but our missions team uh, would like to uh, invite you to join us right here at the Chambersburg campus on Friday, September 23rd at 6 p.m. for a very special Operation Christmas Child uh, event. Now, some of you are familiar with Operation Christmas Child. It's associated with the shoebox ministry, right? Samaritan's uh, ministry or Samaritan's Purse, and uh, you, you have done that, but this is a special event. Elizabeth Groff is going to be here, and she's going to tell her story. Uh, Elizabeth grew up in Ukraine, and while she was living in one of the orphanages in Ukraine, she received one of these uh, uh, shoeboxes, and it changed her life. She is going to be here in person to tell you about it. Here's what happens. Sometimes we do the shoebox thing, and we're like, yeah, we'll throw a few things in here, put the gospel message in at the top. It's not a big deal. We're going to send this out, and we kind of check it off and do one, two, maybe, maybe more than that. But I want you to know just how significant that is. That one shoebox that you pack can totally change someone's life. Elizabeth is proof of that, and she's going to be right here to tell us about it. You can stick around afterwards then for cookies and ice cream, and we're going to tell you a little bit about the shoebox ministry and how you can... Um, uh, be a part of that as well. Well, today is week number three in our series called All Things New. If you are here for the very first time, let me just introduce you uh, to this series. All Things New comes from the book of Revelation chapter 21. We're at the very end of the story. We believe the Bible is one story from beginning to end, and at the end of the story, God says, behold, I will make all things new. All things new is something that's not only going to be a future event, it's something that we're going to learn today is already happening or could be happening in your life. This is good news, by the way. This study is from the book of the Revelation, and today we're going to be in chapters 4 and 5. If you carry a Bible with you, you can turn there. If not, the scripture is also on the screen as well. Now, I still hear some of you uh, talking about the last book of the Bible is the book of Revelations. It is true. It is a series of revelations, but the title is, is Revelation. Uh, actually, it's not even Revelation. It's the Revelation. And let me give you a little bit of a quiz in the house, online. Here's our quiz. It is the Revelation of, say it with me, Jesus Christ. That was really, really weak, but it is the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes, and that's what we want to, you to know because unless we get that, really the rest of it doesn't make a whole lot of sense or it lacks the authority that we need. Jesus made this revelation known by sending it to John who wrote it down so that whoever reads it or whoever hears it might receive a blessing. I hope you're being blessed by this series. Uh, it is intended to do that. The book of the Revelation by itself will do that. I know I've been blessed as I've been preparing these messages and working to bring them to you. Now, the one thing that we need to know when approaching this book is that John's primary concern is not how and when. John's primary concern is who and why. Sometimes when we come to the book of the Revelation, we're wondering how all these end time events are going to occur. How is all this going to happen? How is it going to impact me? And, and when is it going to happen? 
That is not John's primary concern, and we, we might get to some of that, but John's primary concern is not how and when, but who and why. We're going to be looking at the person and why, why all these things are going to happen. So John's primary concern is who this is all about and why he does what he does. Now, the main concern, though, is not what happens next. I don't believe that what John sees and how the revelation unfolds is necessarily linear in its portrayal and its action, but it's, it's just kind of what happens next. John sees this window open and this door open, and he looks in, and this is what he sees. So John's primary concern is what happens next, and of primary importance is what does John see first? What does he see first? So we're going to move into chapter 4 today, and that means that we're leaving the letters of chapters two and three. They were letters that were written to the churches that were to uh, just give them advice. It was like their report card. This is what you're doing well, and this is what you need to improve on. And it was a great lesson for all of us in the church today. We're doing a lot of things well, but there's always ways that we're, we're all, all capable of doing better, right? Like my report card said for most of my years, capable of doing better. And so we've looked at that and now we're moving into chapter 4, which is the apocalyptic, meaning the unveiling or the revealing. So after getting a glimpse of Jesus in chapter 1 and hearing the messages to the churches in chapters 2 and 3, the first thing, the first thing that John sees in chapter 4 is absolutely significant. Here we go, chapter 4, verse 1. John says, after this, which means after the letters and all of that, after this, I looked. I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. Let me talk a little bit about heaven because I want you to make sure that, that you understand that what heaven is. So in his book, Discipleship on the Edge, Daryl Johnson says heaven is not a reference to a faraway place out there or way up there. Right? Jesus is, or John is on earth. He's on earth when he receives this vision. He's on this island called Patmos. And Patmos is this literal rocky island right out in the middle of the Mediterranean. You could actually go there today. This was a literal place. It's where the Romans maintained this prison for criminal and political troublemakers. And the reason that John was there was because he refused to bow to Caesar as his God. And he sent out there into this island on exile. And it says, on a certain Lord's Day, he was sitting on the rock pile, right? That is, he was sitting here on earth. The first thing that he saw was a door standing open in heaven. The point being, John was not transported to another place. He was not transported to another time. No, he sees this while sitting on a rock pile in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. His body remained on earth, but he caught a glimpse of heaven. I'm going to refer to this as convergent spaces. There is a space out there, which is heaven, and there's a space that we call earth, and there's a convergence of the two. That's what's happening when John sees this vision. He's on earth, but he's getting a glimpse of heaven. Now, let me stop right there for a moment because this is where we get hung up. For most of us, reality is what we know. Reality is what we see. It's our circumstances. It's our, it, it, it's, it's the things that we can see and, and touch and we know, uh, what, what's all about us. It's what's happening to us. And sometimes we seek to escape that reality by having perhaps these dreams of an alternate existence. For example, if we're struggling financially, we might dream of winning the lottery or inheriting a couple million dollars. And, and when we dream that way, it's like we're transported into this other world and things are good. 
right? So here is John. He's, his reality is that he's in prison. He's on the island of Patmos that he cannot escape. How do we know? How do we know that John's sitting out there on this rock pile in the middle of the Mediterranean? How do we know that he's not just having some kind of a, a dreamy imagination, like a fantastic escape to another reality, right, to, to avoid his circumstances? Well, we know that it's not that because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it says John was in the Spirit, capital S, which simply means that he is now entering and he's engaging the spiritual world, which, by the way, is also a reality. You and I live in a spiritual world. Now, the spiritual world is not something that we can see. In fact, God is a spirit. No one has ever seen God. How do we know that he's true? How do we know that that's real? Right? We're entered into the spiritual world. It's why we live what we call the spiritual life, because we accept the things that we cannot see. We accept it by faith, right? So that creates this spiritual world. So we live in a world that is seen, and we also live in a world that is unseen, and both are real. So when John gets this glimpse into heaven, he's referring to another dimension of reality that is right here, close at hand, all around us, intersecting the visible and the tangible dimension. Now, I don't want to wreck your theology this morning, but heaven is not only a place that you will go to or enter when you die. It is a place that you can live in now through a spiritual vision of its reality. And that's what we're going to see. What we're about to see is the most important part of the entire book of the Revelation. And what we're about to see is a game changer for your life. Look at this. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to go back to the scripture that we started with, and then we're going to continue. John says, after this, I looked. And behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here. Come up here. This is an invitation for John to go into this other dimension of reality. He's on earth. He's on earth, but the spirit is speaking to him and saying, listen, I want you to come into this spiritual world. I want you to get a glimpse of what's in heaven. Now, this is, this is where this really gets good. He says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And John says, at once, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven. A throne in heaven. Now, some of your translations say, after this I looked, and there before me was a door. I, I believe that's a mis, uh, an unfortunate, maybe misinterpretation, because in verses 1 and 2, there is this verb, and in both cases, the verb is in the imperative mood, meaning to behold or to look. John is not simply making a statement by saying, hey, there's a door up there open in heaven. No, he's given a command by saying, look, look at this. There's a door open in heaven. It's, it's like he's inviting us to look into heaven because he wants us to see something. By the way, the most frequent command in the entire book of the Revelation is look, look. And you know what the second most frequent command is? Fear not. Fear not. We obey the second by obeying the first, right? When we, are, when we, when we look at the right place, when we look at heaven, when we see the door open, and when we see what's in there, we're no longer afraid. We have no reason to be afraid. Our fears come because we're not looking at the right place. So John says, look, the door in heaven is open, and look a throne. There's a throne in heaven. What John wants us to see is that there's this throne in heaven. Now, a throne is 
the number one image in the book of the Revelation, John points toward the throne 47 times. 47 times he talks about the throne. Now, it's not the only throne in heaven. There are at least 24 other thrones there, but there's one throne that captures his attention. Now, what does the throne symbolize? The throne symbolizes authority. So following the death of of Queen Elizabeth II on September 8th, her eldest son, Prince Charles, immediately right assumed the throne. And he will be known as King Charles III. And he will hold that post of authority until he dies. Growing up, I had one older sister. Uh, All the rest of my siblings were younger, but I had one older sister who I, I just tried to help her through life by giving advice. You know, it's what little brothers do. So I would give her advice, and uh, she was known to respond to my advice by saying, who died and left you, boss, right? I don't know what kind of authority I was attempting to assume, uh, but there's, there's the throne is always the symbol of authority, and there is a throne in heaven. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but to me, that is a great comfort. That means there's a supreme headquarters, That means that there's a a control center of the universe. That means there's a seat of power and authority in heaven. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. But but John did not just see a throne. Look at this. It gets better. Verse 2. Before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. The throne is occupied. Listen, that is good news. The throne of heaven is occupied. It is not up for grabs. Now, that someone on the throne is portrayed by this series of images in verse 3, images that use uh, uh, things like emerald and jasper and ruby and all that. But the one seated on the throne is fully identified in verse 8. Now, around this one throne with someone seated on it, there are 24 other thrones. Okay, and what we believe is this is a symbol of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples, which simply means that this throne room encompasses all of the past and all of the future. This is Old Testament. This is New Testament represented in heaven. 24, el- or 24 thrones are around there, and there's elders on those thrones. But all of those elders are beginning to look at this center throne, and they're beginning to uh, worship there, and they say, holy, 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 looking at this one throne, is the Lord God Almighty. You know who's on the throne in heaven? The Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. But here's what happens. If we dismiss uh, John's command to look, right? If we never look into heaven, get a glimpse into heaven and see who's seated there, we're going to conclude otherwise. Because if we're not looking into heaven, if we don't have a heavenly vision, all we're going to see on earth is what is on earth And on earth, it seems like many times no one is in control, right? It seems like things are out of control. It's why we ask the question, where is God? Where is God when this happens? You know, when a big tragic event happens, where was God in this? Right? When some natural phenomena happens, where was God in this? When something happens in your personal life and it just kind of undoes you, right? Where is God in all this? And we ask those questions all the time. Did God leave the throne? Is he in the bedroom taking a nap? Is he on vacation somewhere? Did he fall asleep on the throne? Where is God? And if we don't look into heaven and only look at earth, those are the questions that will be asked. Or even worse, has there been a coup? Have the powers of chaos and evil and death stormed headquarters and taken over? Right? Because a lot of times it seems like evil is, is, is reigning, right? And, and controlling things. 
And the other thing that happens is sometimes we, we give a head nod to the very fact that God is on the throne. But, but deep down in our lives, it's like, man, that God's on the throne. This is his authority. This is his word. Not sure that I like it, though. I wonder if God's a little bit outdated, maybe, or maybe he doesn't understand my position. And so what happens is when we don't like what's, what, what authority comes from the throne, you know what we do then? We create our own little thrones. We create our own little thrones. And, and instead of surrendering to his authority, we are in essence saying, listen, we're a little bit smarter than God right now. God doesn't understand my life. God doesn't understand my times. Right, So we pretend we're a little bit smarter than God, and, and we pretend that we know how to do life better than he does. And so we create our own little thrones. And listen, whenever we do that, we're setting up our baby thrones against the actual throne in heaven. And then we get frustrated when our rule and our reign brings us nothing but heartache and brokenness. Listen, you need to know that whenever you establish your own throne, it separates you from God and it robs you of the joy and the peace and the satisfaction that can only come from the throne in heaven. Eugene Peterson says it this way, and I absolutely love this quote. He says, if you're weary of your life lurching from one partial satisfaction to another, interrupted by ditches of disappointment, I'm here to tell you that you don't have to live that way. You don't have to live that way. And Eugene Peterson says it this way. He says, just get off your little throne and fall before the throne of God whose authority is all about your protection, your blessing, and your best life possible. The God who is on the throne wants nothing more than blessing for you. Listen, your little baby throne is like those little plastic, little tight sliding boards Right Compared to the the, the majestic, awesome, royal throne of God, which one are you going to look at? Which one are you going to look at? Which throne are you going to trust? Your little baby throne or the throne of God? Which one are you going to live your life from? Listen, the reason that the number one command in the entire book of the Revelation is look is because God wants you to see that there's a throne in heaven and there's someone on that throne who loves you and wants the best for your life. Now, what are you going to do with that? Whose throne are you going to accept? Whose authority are you going to live by? Great question, isn't it? In preparation for uh, this morning, I just spent some time in my office and um, just reading the word. And, and one of the songs that I just listened to was Meredith Andrews, who sings a song called Open Up the Heavens. Open up the heavens, I want to see you. That was my prayer this morning for myself. It's my prayer for you. And listen, this is what we need to do every single day of our lives. Because the reality is we wake up in the morning, what do we see? Oh, we see the earth, right? We see our circumstances. We see everything that we're going to be facing today. We see our fears. We see our frustrations. We see the problems. We see the decisions that we need to make and all of that. I, I scroll through the news every morning and it's, I mean, I see the evil all over the world and the stuff that happens. It's like, man, I just, I can't believe that we're living in this world and all this stuff is happening. Now, if that's the only thing that I looked at, it could be very, very depressing and disappointing, right? But then we take some time and just look into heaven. We look at the throne and we see someone seated on the throne. And it's kind of all of our fears dissipate with and, and, and are replaced with confidence. Because there is someone who's still in charge of it all. Now, the way that you get to look at the throne is, is this. This is God's word. This is his authority written for you, written for me. 
You spend time in the Word of God this morning, listen, this world and all of its stuff just fades away compared to the greatness of God and who He is and the life that He wants for us. I encourage you, I encourage you to spend time at the throne every single day. It's where we find, it's where we find our answers, it's where we find our confidence, it's where we find our strength for life. Now the song continues, it says, open up the heavens, we want to see you, open up the floodgates, a mighty river, filling our, or flowing from your heart, oh God, filling, our, filling all of our praise. Listen, that's the prayer that we pray every, every day. God, open up the heavens. I want to see you. I want to see you seated on the throne, high and lifted up, right? I want to see you because I need to see you because all the stuff around me just brings me down. I need something that's going to lift me up. Now, I encourage you to do that as well, but here's the next thing. God does not just want us to see a throne and someone on it. There's another detail that he wants us to see. Chapter 5. The camera now zooms in on the right hand of the one who's sitting on the throne. Okay, I want you to get the picture. Heavens are open, right? We're looking into heaven. We're seeing a throne. There's someone seated on that throne. And now we see that in his right hand, he's holding something. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, John says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, a scroll written within and on the back. I mean, this thing is filled with information, filled with words, and it's sealed with seven seals. This scroll that we see in the right hand of the one seated on the throne is the complete plan of what God, in his sovereign will, has determined to be the destiny of this world. If you want to know what's really going on in this world right now and how it's all going to end, it's in the scroll. It's all in there. If you want to know how God is going to rectify all that is wrong and make all things new, it's in that scroll. If you want to know the meaning of history, if you want to know the meaning of world history, your history and my history, it's in the scroll. And if you want to know the secret to all things new, it's in this scroll. Do you want to know what's in there? You want to know what's in that scroll? I mean, I do. John did. So, so let's open it. Oh, wait, it's sealed. It's sealed with seven seals. So, so we can't open this. And, and then there's verse 2 says there's this mighty angel, and it has to be this mighty angel, right, to, to have his voice just known all over heaven, a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break these seals and open the scroll? In other words, who can do this? Who is worthy and who can open up the plan of history and bring history to its foreordained consummation? Who is worthy to reveal God's plan of salvation and execute it on the stage of history? Who is smart enough to understand the secret of history and strong enough to put it into effect? Who can break the seals? Ah, we'll get there. Right now, the answer is no one. No one. Revelation 5.3, but no one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth, could open a scroll and even look inside. It's a little disappointing, isn't it? I want to know what's in there. I want to know what's in there. I want to know what's happening in this world. I want to, I want to understand it. I want to, know, I want to know what my future is, my turn. You know, and it's all in that scroll. No one can open it. It's like the bank sending you this letter, right? And the bank says, hey, we've got this big vault and there's a whole bunch of stuff in there in your name, right? And there's, there's treasure in there, but we don't, we lost the combination, 
right? We have no way of getting in there. That'd be a little disappointing, right? Same thing is true here. It's disappointing. It was disappointing for John. Verse 4 says, man, I wept. He says, I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. There's no one who can discover and implement the, the secret of history. No one, no one can articulate the meaning of life. And while John was weeping, while John was weeping, one of the elders said to him, verse 5, weep no more. This is where it really gets good. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He can open the scroll and the seven seals. There's someone that can open this. John turns his gaze away from the elder, and he looks back at the throne. And right now, I want, to, I want you to let your imagination be stunned by this, because what happens next in this vision changes everything. John turns away from the elder, looks back at the throne, expecting to see a lion. Wouldn't you? I mean, that's what the elder said. There's this lion who conquered. Great roaring lion. We expect to see that. Verse 5 says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. Not a lion, but I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. This lamb had seven horns and it had seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Remember, in apocalyptic literature, images of animals are often used for people. And the image that John saw was a lamb looking like it was slain. This lamb had seven horns and it had seven eyes. What does this imagery tell us? Eyes are the picture of wisdom, right? And seven eyes? Now, within the book of the Revelation and other places, seven is the number of completeness and essence. And we're going to see that all the way through the book of the Revelation. Like last week, we saw uh, uh, seven churches. We saw seven letters, which simply meant uh, it was the completeness of all churches, right? And that's exactly what we're seeing here. Seven eyes is, is the number of completeness and essence. The lamb is completely wise and immensely wise. Now, horn is the symbol of strength symbol of strength, seven horns. This lamb is completely strong, immensely powerful. The lamb is the perfection and essence of both wisdom and power. Now, in apocalyptic literature of John's day, there was a figure of a warrior lamb where this powerful lamb leads the flock of God against this evil beast. This, is, this was just in the apocalyptic literature, but nowhere in that literature, uh, that literature does not tell us how the lamb wins. But John knows John knows. He sees the lamb as though it had been slain. Now, here we go. Who does he see? Who does he see? Yeah. It's like John the Baptist said when he first saw Jesus. He said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The lamb took the scroll from the one who was seated on the throne. And that's the secret of history. Now, the revelation from this scroll and we're going to unpack this more next week because next week we're going to open all seven seals. We're going to see what's in there. This is what we've all been waiting for. But I, you need to know right now, right now on this Sunday, the revelation from the scroll is first and foremost a picture of what Jesus did for you. And this is beautiful. This is always good to review this. We know it. We know the story. But we need to be reminded over and over again because this is what brings us to worship when Jesus died on the cross for you and was then resurrected, that was the beginning of him making all things new. That was the beginning. All things new is not just something that's going to happen in the future. It can be a present reality for you right now. 
And when we accept Jesus Christ as the lamb who was slain, the one who came, the one who went to that cross, sorry, the one who took every one of our sins, when we accept that into our lives, that's when all things start becoming new. That's when you get a new heart. It's when you get a new vision. It's when you get a new look. It's when you get a new outlook on life, right? It's when all things, all things become new. Now, after this vision of the Lamb, what happens next is this explosion of worship. Listen, and that's what happened this morning. I love the way Chris set up the worship set this morning. Those songs were absolutely amazing. It's what we're going to be singing in heaven according to Revelation 4 and 5. Right, And the moment that you get a glimpse of the lamb who was slain, the very moment that that lamb becomes a personal savior to you, an explosion of worship happens uh, in your life. Listen, I hate to admit this, but there are times when I might be singing and uh, my mind drifts. You know, I go to some other thing, something else is in there. I'm still singing, but at the moment that my mind drifts, I'm not worshiping anymore because worship, by definition, is and attention, giving attention to the living God. And so when I'm worshiping, my attention is on the throne space. And this morning, it was not hard to stay focused on the throne because of every song drew us there. Everything took us to the throne this morning. It was not hard for us to worship. Listen, and and worship is where, where you look makes all the difference in life. If you want a good marriage, stop looking at your spouse. Start looking at the throne. If you want to be a good parent, stop looking at other Instagram feeds and and get your eyes on the throne, right? If you want to be a good worker, get your eyes on the throne. If you want to spend your money in a way that is wise, get your eyes on the throne. The throne of heaven shapes reality because it is reality. And the way that we get to the throne is reading God's word, This is the answer. Listen, this is what draws us to the throne of God and allows us to see the one seated on the throne, the one who has authority over all this earth, the one whose authority is even over your life as well. Listen, we live and work from victory, not toward it. The lamb has already conquered. The lamb has already won. Victory is already ours. Sometimes we describe people as being too heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Right, All they think about is heaven, and they're just so spiritual that they can't really relate to anything on this earth. They're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. But listen, I don't think you can be any earthly good until you're heavenly-minded. Right, Until we see what's in heaven, until we get a glimpse of the throne and the one seated on the throne, this earth is not going to make sense to you at all. In fact, it's going to look to you like it's unraveling. It's going to look like your life is unraveling. It's going to look like, like everybody and everything is against you rather than for you. Well, Listen, the scroll is your invitation into this convergent space where your life and everything that happens here on earth meets heaven. And that convergent space is where you need to be. And I believe this letter is kind of our invitation into that, right? John says, look, look, and that's an invitation, right? It's a command, look, look, you need to see this. Every single morning, listen, this is what we do. And I'm going to go back to something I just said earlier. Every single morning we we wake up, we face this day. Look, I want you to do it by looking into heaven, 
right? And looking at the one that's on the throne and your days, your days will make a difference. I want to conclude by reading Psalm 121. It's a great passage. Uh, the psalmist had a lot of things going on. And this is one of the, the psalms of ascent that, that they sang when they were going to the temple, when they're going to worship. Psalm 121, uh, David writes, and he says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Now, I believe what he meant was this. I, I lift my eyes beyond the hills, right? I'm not just going to look at the mountains. I'm not going to look at the universe. I'm going to look beyond it. I'm going to lift my eyes to the hills. And then he asked this question, from where does my help come from? And he answers by saying, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Can you say that? Can you say, I hope you can say that with confidence every single day. I look to the hills. Listen, I'm looking beyond my circumstances. I'm looking beyond this earth. I'm looking to heaven. I'm seeing the throne. That's where my help comes from. My help comes from the, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now listen to what he's described. He, the one on the throne, will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He's always there for you. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this day forth and forevermore. Church, you need to know that there's a throne. There's someone on that throne. That someone is for you. That someone is for you. And he wants nothing for you other than protection and provision and blessing. And He wants your best life. Which authority are you going to submit to? The one who's on the throne in heaven or some other throne that you established? Oh, may we look to the hills. May we look beyond this earth. May we look beyond our own thrones. Get off of our thrones, right? And look to the one who is making all things new for you. Amen. Man, let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for the morning. Thank you for this vision that you gave John that is also a revelation to us or for us. God, I'm so, so grateful that we have this, this vision into heaven and that we have the absolute certainty today that there is someone on the throne. This world and all of the creation is not out of control. No, there's one on the throne, the Lord God Almighty. God, lift our eyes to that throne now, even as we sing uh, in our closing song together. And may we worship you. May we worship you, the one on that throne today. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand as we sing?